Uh, well, we started out some uh, number of weeks ago talking about uh, atonement. Uh, and the uh, the work that Christ did upon the cross. Sometimes we use big words, uh, but we're using, in this case, a Bible word to describe the work of what Christ accomplished through His blood. thought it interesting this morning as we're singing the song Mercy Seat uh, to also think that uh, that mercy seat, the, the, uh, the covering of the Ark of the Covenant, uh, which was in the Old Testament, was known as the mercy seat. Uh, and that uh, that's where... Christ, uh, who was, who is our mercy seat, uh, sprinkled His own blood uh, in the Holy of Holies to uh, uh, to redeem us from our sins. So uh, sometimes we sing these songs and we we don't maybe get the the significance of it. But uh, Lord, help us to remember the mercy seat, uh, the place where we can go and find grace and mercy in our time of need. So uh, we started out talking about atonement, uh, which talks about uh, the shed blood of Jesus Christ and uh, the scripture in Romans 5 where it mentions that our atonement has now come, uh, talking about the coming of Christ Jesus. And then uh, from that, we moved over into the book of Hebrews uh, uh, because there it denotes and, and talks about the fact that we have a high priest uh, who is... Uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and that He is not a high priest uh, after the uh, after the Aaron priesthood or the Levitical priesthood, but as we'll try to get to maybe this morning and look at some things, uh, He's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, uh, an old a, a a person that we studied a little bit when we were going through the Book of Genesis on Wednesday night. Very mysterious uh, character laid out in the Old Testament scriptures who, uh, when uh, Abraham had been at war with the, uh, the kings who had captured his nephew Lot, uh, and uh, Abraham pursued those kings all the way to the place of Dan. If you were with us some on a Sunday afternoon when we showed our pictures from, uh, uh, from Israel, you saw the place of Dan where we visited there. Uh, how there was a spring there that uh, water flows out and becomes instantly a gushing stream, uh, and is is a beginning spot for the uh, uh, for the one of the branches of the that becomes the Jordan River. And so uh, Abraham pursued these kings to Dan, uh, recaptured Lot, uh, and on the way back after he had taken the spoil from the uh, from the kings that. Uh, lived up in the areas of, I guess, Damascus and uh, Syria and uh, what would be modern-day Iraq, uh, Babylon of those days. When he re- took the spoil from those kings on the journey home, uh, he was met and greeted by uh, Melchizedek, uh, who came out to greet him and to bless him and brought him wine and bread to, and blessed Abraham uh, in that journey. And uh, the Bible goes on to tell us that as we'll look at here this uh, this morning, maybe maybe because it's a little several chapters over from where I'm starting at. Uh, but this Melchizedek was uh, king of Salem, king of peace. Uh, he was a uh, uh, a high priest to God, and the Bible says he had no beginning of days and no end of life. <clears throat> what kind of characters like that? Well, the the only characters we can think of that would be like that would be our Lord Himself. Uh, but we'll look at that as we get a little bit further into this. So Abraham was greeted by Melchizedek, blessed of him. Uh, and as we get to, to this portion of Scripture known as the book of Hebrews, 
part of what we talked about a few weeks ago as we go as you go through chapters one and two, uh, the writer, which uh, is not identified, we've talked about that also previously, uh, that there's no writer identified to the book of Hebrews, but no doubt looking at the way it's written and everything, it just, uh, Paul just comes out of that book everywhere to me, the Apostle Paul, and uh, but I can understand, and we made this statement before, I can understand why Paul didn't put his name to it. Uh, he had been highly criticized by the by the Jews for becoming kind of a turncoat, if you will, and uh, leaving the religion of the of the Jews to uh, follow after Christ. Uh, and so they they didn't particularly like the Apostle Paul. Uh, we find that as we look through the Book of Acts, uh, where they he would go in teach in the synagogues, and they would chase him out of town <laughs> uh, and stone him and beat him and, and run him out on many occasions. But Paul had a heart. For his brothers and 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 uh, of of the of his family of the Jews, and so he writes this letter to to these people and and points out to them Christ, uh, this one that has recently come and spoken to us, is better than the prophets. He's better than angels. He's better than all of these. Uh, and not only that, uh, then he begins to point out the fact in this book of Hebrews that there's. Uh, the, the problem with the Jews of the Old Testament was that their problem was unbelief. They didn't believe God when God told them to get up and go across uh, Jordan's River and uh, to take that land the first time. They didn't believe Him. And because of that, many of them died in the wilderness uh, and died there during that 40-year journey. Uh, and so he says the problem was unbelief. And he's counseling these modern-day Jews uh, in this book of Hebrews, don't follow after the same example. Don't fall into the same example of unbelief that caused them to suffer, caused them to die. Yes, God rescued them out of, out of Egypt, brought them across the Red Sea, and without becoming too uh, typical or typical or whatever you want to call it, of uh, uh, saying God has also brought his people out of the clutches of, of Satan, out of the clutches of hell, brought us across the Red Sea of his blood. But just because we've been rescued from, uh, uh, from, uh, from doom and torment and ever, everlasting punishment in hell by the shed blood of Jesus Christ does not mean that we can't fall after the same example of unbelief like the Old Testament Hebrews did. And that was his counsel to the modern day Hebrews as he writes this book, don't follow after the same same example of unbelief. Believe that this high priest, this one that I'm going to tell you about, this Jesus Christ, is the Savior. He is the Christ. He is the high priest that has come. And I'm going to. And as he, as he goes through this, he tells them exactly what Christ accomplished upon the cross. And so uh, this book of Hebrews was written to lift up Christ, to point that he is the Savior, that he is the great high priest, that he is the fulfillment of all those types and shadows that are laid out back in the Old Testament worship service, and to, to warn uh, the Hebrew brethren, don't fall after the same example of unbelief that caused so many people to die in the wilderness don't let this same example happen to you. And, and, and I, could t I could easily take that and, and call out to us today and say, don't fall after the same example of unbelief. That was the problem in that day. And he goes on to tell them, not only don't follow after those examples, 
Then he lifts up in chapter 11 some great examples of men who have faith, who in spite of, of many times their faults and failings, did great things because they had faith and belief in God. And God blessed them. And that and that and so that that's the that's the that's almost the God that's the Bible story laid out in the book of Hebrews. Uh, don't fall after unbelief, and God will bless you through faith and believing in Him here and now. Uh, during the here and now, God will bless you just like He did all those old blessed men of old, of Abraham and of Moses and of of uh, many others that are laid out there in the Old Testament. God has a blessing today for us, just like He did them. So we turn over uh, this morning. Uh, he tells us in chapter four. I'll give you the chapter four summary real quick, which were some things we went over a few weeks ago. Uh, but in chapter four, he says there's still rest for God's people. All we need to do is enter in to that rest. And he says there's a rest for God's people. And he, he was telling that there was a rest for God's people in that day by entering into Canaan's land. Uh, and some of them failed to enter in because of unbelief. Right? So he says, but there's a rest today for God's people too. And it's to enter into, uh, I think, the, the type of, of Canaan's land today for me and you is to enter into the rest that God has through belief and being in the church of God and following after Him in obedience. There's a rest for God's people today, here and now, to know and understand that, uh, uh, and I'll tell you, there's a, there's a rest to God's people in believing the truth of God's Word. And I I don't want to just hammer that like, you know, we're, I'm belittling other folks in other places. But I'm telling you, knowing your salvation is accomplished, knowing that Christ did complete it upon the cross, uh, uh, knowing these things is a rest for God's people. I'm, we're not laboring today uh, to try to make sure our home is secure in heaven. We're laboring today because we love God, because we appreciate uh, the blessings that we have through Him. Uh, it doesn't mean uh, that, uh, oh, well, I know I'm a child of God. I know I'm saved by the... So let's just sit down. God never gave us an example of sitting down and resting. Uh, he gave us an example of working and laboring and praising God and working for, for Him while we're living here. And so he says there's a rest to be entered in. So he says, I'll just jump into a place. Verse 9 of Hebrews 4. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he hath also ceased from his own works as God did his. Now, I'm going to couch this for you to, to say, I think he's talking to them a little bit about the fact that there's a rest in realizing, just like if you go to like uh, Romans 10, Romans 11, uh, there's a rest from recognizing that we're saved by grace and that it's not about the law. It's not about our works. Uh, the Jews had this belief, uh, the belief system that was given to them from God, but you, you realize that sometimes you can take the belief system God gives you and misuse it. Uh, they began to think that it was all by their works. It was all by their labors. It was all by keeping the law. That was what was going to make uh, their their home in heaven secure. And Paul says, Paul's telling them, there's a rest for God's people. For he that has entered into his rest, that may not be capitalized in our Bibles, but I do believe it is talking about those who have entered into the rest of Christ and the rest of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he hath also ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us 
labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man should fall after the same example of unbelief. So there's a, there's a pressing in. You know what? Jesus talked about pressing into the kingdom. Uh, that we're to, uh, the, uh, the kingdom of heaven is preached and every man should press into it. Well, there's a labor for us today to press into the kingdom, press in to the service of God, press into uh, knowing more about God's word. So he says, let us labor to enter into that rest. Uh, you know, sometimes, uh, just think about from a working standpoint, some of, the, some of the sweetest rest some of you have had is you get out and you work uh, I'll be nice. Uh, you work your tail off. <laughs> you get out and do whatever labor you want to think about out in your, your yard, your garden, at your job. And you just work till you're physically, uh, physically worn. But man, isn't the rest sweet? I mean, you can lay your head. And I think there's a rest for God's people, but the rest is not sitting down and doing nothing. It's laboring. So that sometimes when there comes a, there comes a day when you can sit down and rest in the fact of, uh, of peace and sweetness, knowing that you've worked uh, to press into this kingdom. Therefore, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man should fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, Piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. Uh, I'll tell you, the word of God, you know, the, the, the word of God, not talking about this word, but I believe the living word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And I'll tell you, it is a discerner of the heart and the intents. Uh, and there's neither is there any creature that's not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open to his eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest uh, that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Seeing that, that, uh, that we have a high priest that has entered into heaven, that is seated on the right hand of the throne of God, that's interceding for me and you. When we're going to, uh, to when we're bowing down on our knees in prayer and beseeching God in our, in, in, uh, for the needs of our lives and for the needs of our family and for the needs of our neighbors and friends and our churches, when we're down on our knees, we have a advocate, Jesus Christ, the, the, the righteous, who is seated on the right hand of the throne of God, interceding there for you and me. So seeing that we have this great high priest who has, uh, who has shed not only, not only his blood but died for you and I, seeing that we have this great high priest that's passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. When we make a confession and profession uh, that we love Jesus Christ, that we love him uh, for, for, uh, for what he's done for us, uh, that we love him just because of who he is, let us hold fast that profession. You know, uh, there was a lot of comment yesterday made at the, uh, the ordination service. Uh, and the brother, brother Josh Coker got up and spoke that morning and enjoyed getting to hear him uh, preach uh, the Word of God. And he used uh, Philippians chapter 2. And in that he was talking about the, uh, about the Lord and thinking about and, and using that as an example of how he was faithful. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and he compared that, I guess, to being a good father and a good husband and a good church member. And I'm thinking, you know, as a church member, we're part of the bride of Christ. 
uh, and as a chosen vessel, chosen uh, to be uh, to be a part of that bride because of the Heavenly Father choosing us to be the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Uh, so, you know, uh, husbands and wives make professions and confessions to each other uh, and plead, you know, that uh, uh, they make a pledge to one another, if you will. Uh, and part of what God expects out of that husband and wife in a natural sense is for them to be true to one another. Yeah, to be true to your profession and confession. And as the bride of Christ, he wants us to be true to our profession and confession. Not all, he's he's going. He's chosen us. He's redeemed us. We're going to be his bride. But he wants us to be faithful <laughs> as a bride. He wants us to be faithful and true. So he, so that when I see this language here in the in the book of Hebrews, he says, "Seeing that we have a great high priest, seeing that we have a great husbandman, seeing that we have one that loved us and died for us, that's gone into the heavens for us, seeing these things." Let us hold fast our profession. Let's, let's be faithful while we're here. For we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. We don't, when I'm, when I'm down on my knees praying, and when you're down on your knees praying, or whether you're just bowing your head in simple prayer, maybe you're not down on your knees. So it's, I can't get on my knees anymore. Okay, so you're just bowing your head in prayer. When we're bowing our heads in prayer and beseeching this great King of Kings, this great Lord of Lords, this great High Priest, God's Word tells us, that we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our... Inf- he knows your pain. <laughs> he knows your temptations. Uh, how does he know that? He knows it because he was here. He was a man. Uh, he faced temptations. Uh, the Bible doesn't say uh, explicitly, I don't think, that maybe some woman tempted him somewhere along the way. But he knows your temptations, my friends. Uh, yet, he was able to do that without sin. Like Unlike you and me, uh, he wasn't constantly looking and, and lusting upon on this or lusting upon that or lying about this and doing that. But I'll tell you, he understands what it's like to be tempted like you and I are because he was a man here on this earth yet without sin. So so when we go down on our knees, you know, a lot of times I think uh, when we think of him as being God, right? And we think of him as being king of kings. Sometimes if we if we compare that to earthly kings or earthly presidents or something like that or you know whatever it's leaders of people say well they don't know what it, you know i say this <laughs> you know you, you look at the, the leaders of our land and say they don't understand what you and i go through they don't understand the working man the working woman they don't understand the troubles and the trials and and you know what in a lot of cases you're right, I'm right and you're right they don't understand some of the things that you and I face on a daily basis but we have a high priest that understands exactly how you feel he knows exactly about your t- when you're pleading to him in prayer he knows what it's like he knows where you've been uh i, I tell I've, i y'all have heard me say this before but i i think of this uh when uh, when when you've been done wrong by someone 
You want to talk about somebody that was done wrong? <laughs> you want to talk about somebody that was betrayed? That uh, uh, those that had walked with him, worked with him for three and a half years, yet to sold one of them sold him out? Uh, though uh, we're not talking about someone who was a criminal, we're not talking about someone who was a who was a mean, evil person. Uh, we're talking about the one that was perfect, never sinned. Yet someone sold him out here on this earth and betrayed him. So when you've been done wrong, my point, he knows exactly what it's like. He knows exactly where you are. And so we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, uh, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore, because we have somebody that understands, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace. In our time of need, don't be afraid to go to God. Don't be afraid to go to Jesus Christ and pour out your heart and tell him what's on your mind. And, uh, you know, I don't think that means for us to uh, uh, disobey the, the the laws of prayer, if you want to call it that. Uh, prayer that we're going and just begging for every little need that we, that we have and uh, uh, things that would be against God's word, I guess, contrary to God's word. But he... But remember that when we're having our trials and problems, he knows exactly how you feel. For every high priest, now we go over and we begin a journey here in chapter 5 because he's now pointed out there's a place of rest and you have a high priest that understands. Uh, and uh, don't fall after the same example of unbelief of the children of Israel uh, who didn't believe God and they, they wandered for... 40 years in the wilderness and many of them died. Don't fall into that example. Don't put your family through that. Don't put, don't put yourself through that, but don't put your, your family through that, that you wander off out here into the wilderness. And, and I think, the, you know, again, you could type and shadow things to death, which I don't want to try to do that, but I think it's very fitting for us to make this wilderness uh, the world that we live in. You can wander away from the leadership of God. And wander away from his guiding hand in your life. And I'll tell you, the rest of the world is a wilderness compared to, uh, to being where, where he would have us to be and following after him. And so you can get out there and get lost. Uh, and, uh, and, and I'm, again, you know, you, you over teach sometimes, but you know, I'm not talking about lost eternally, but you can get lost right here in this old world and, and suffer. Uh, and many people suffer and the children of Israel suffered. Uh, you know, uh, uh, if you put this, I, I know God took care of them in the wilderness. Uh, I've, I've y'all have read this. I've preached this. Y'all, y'all know this. Their clothes didn't fade. Their shoes didn't fade. God fed them with manna. When they griped and complained too much, He sent cubbies of quail to to surround them, and then told them, "Eat the quail." You griped and complained. Now eat it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they had to eat it till it ran out their noses, uh, the Bible says. And uh, uh, so, God, But God took care of them there. But now I want you to stop and pause for a minute. Let's, let's dial the clock back from that 40, 40 years where God did take care of them. God gave them water from the rock. God gave them manna every day. God was with them, guided them, protected them, all of those things. 
let's dial the clock back to right up to the banks of the Jordan River uh, during, at the beginning of just before that 40 years began. And let's listen to the spies that went over there and looked at that land and came back and told them. Uh, at least Joshua and Caleb came back and told them. Uh, it's a land that flows with milk and honey. They're, look at these bunches of grapes that we're having to put on uh, this pole that takes two men to carry. That's the kind of vineyards that are over there. Uh, it's a it's a land that's blessed that will feed our sheep and feed our flocks. Uh, uh, and there's houses already there. All we've got to do is go over there and occupy that place. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Uh, and and uh, yeah, God took care of them with the manna. God gave them water from the rock. God uh, God fed them and clothed them and all those things. But man, bunches of grapes that it takes two men to carry. A land that flows with milk and honey that's got cities over there that's already been built waiting for them to come and to occupy. That sounds even better, doesn't it? And I'll tell you, that's that's the way it is. God, uh, when we wander off out into the wilderness, we we may survive. But man, what a better place there is for us to be. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in the things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. So now he's beginning this journey into the Old Testament high priest. Uh, This high priest was after the order of Aaron. Uh, We've talked about as we look through Genesis, uh, both Aaron and Moses, uh, who were brothers, were Levites. But God specifically chose of those Levites Aaron to be the high priest and then after Aaron, the descendants of Aaron. All the other Levites uh, were not given any land, any property. Uh, I think that's part of the uh, uh, the curse that was on them as they went through the time of, uh, uh, as Jacob uh, gave to those sons, those blessings or curses, as you will, to each one of those uh, 12 tribes. But the Levites were to be priests that they were to have no property. Uh, they were not to have any land, uh, and uh, uh, God would sustain them by the, by the gifts of the other tribes, by the gifts of the people for the priesthood. And so he says, for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God. So they're, they're ordained or commissioned by men to serve God uh, in the things of God that he may offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and, and, on, and on them that are out of the way for that he himself is also compassed with, with infirmity. So he was supposed to understand the infirmities of the people because he himself was a setter and as he went and made sacrifices for sin, he had to first sacrifice for himself, then also offer sacrifice for the people. For by reason hereof he ought as for the people, uh, so also for himself to offer sin. So he had to offer sacrifices for himself and for the people all were sinners and it says and no man taketh this honor unto himself but he that is called of God uh, as was Aaron so uh, the high priest not only was a descendant of Aaron but the high priest that were taken from the sons of Aaron uh, was appointed by God chosen by him to be the high priest Uh, we don't you know uh, the ministry today is not a priesthood, uh, but uh, we do believe that the the ministry today is a God called, God appointed person that God chooses out and calls into the ministry and, and into that service. So no man's to take that honor on himself. Uh, 
I think I have seen some over the years that have taken that honor on themselves, and it's usually disastrous both for him and for the people that he tries to serve. And so uh, <clears throat> he says, No man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself. Now, I can imagine that the Apostle Paul is addressing this to the Hebrew brethren because many of them, uh, you can kind of read between the lines, uh, many of them are saying, well, he was a self-appointed high priest. And Paul's letting them know, no, you're, you're missing something. And, and let's, let's, go, let's carry this discussion a little further uh, of how they would have said this. Well, he was a self-appointed priest because he's not even a Levite. He was of the tribe of Judah. So there's no priesthood comes from the, from the, the tribe of Judah. And you know what? They're right, uh, but they were missing a little Old Testament fact uh, that was laid out for them uh, uh, that they had totally just kind of blown, blown away because it's mentioned in one little place back in Genesis and another place over in, uh, uh, in the book of Psalms where the psalmist uh, uh, prophesied and talked about uh, that there would be one that would come after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, and so the, suddenly this mysterious little character over there in the book of Genesis that came out and greeted Abraham and blessed him and gave him water and uh, gave him wine and gave him bread suddenly pops back up uh, over in Psalms as a prophecy and then again here in Hebrews where Paul tells us that there was a priest that uh, uh, Jesus Christ was called a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Bing, there was another priesthood that they had overlooked uh, that was a God-appointed uh, priest uh, that was such a great person and such an honorable person that their father Abraham, who had been the first one that had come out from among the Gentiles and had come out from among the heathens, if you will, to follow after the one true and living God, this, their great father Abraham, had given obedience to him and given him a tenth of all that he had and gained and, and spoiled in that battle of the king. So he says also, Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said, he that said unto him, thou art my son, today I have begotten thee, as he saith also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's Psalm 110. Uh, I think verse 4, if you want to go, uh, uh, go look at that. Uh, it says, uh, he saith also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the day Days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Now, I'm going to carry you at this portion of scripture. He says, who in the days of his flesh, who is he talking about? He's talking about Christ. In the days of his flesh, Christ went to the garden and prayed, and you can go read about it in, in Luke chapter 22. You can read about it in other places, but I point you to Luke chapter 22 uh, because uh, there is in that portion of Scripture about verse 40 or so in there. It tells us Christ prayed in agony, and he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood in agony, knowing what he was going to do. He was about to go to the cross. And he prayed, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Uh, He knew it wasn't the will of the Father, but he said, Father, if there's some other way. uh, I think in his flesh, I think that's what Paul is saying. In his flesh, he knew what he was about to go through. 
God knows all things. He hadn't yet experienced the kind of suffering that he was about to suffer, but he knew what he was about to face. He knew he was about to face beatings. He knew he was about to face torture. He knew he was about to face death. He knew he was about to face something that he had never experienced in his life. And that was God the Father pouring out his wrath upon him and turning his back upon him that sin might finally be put to death, my friends. And Jesus Christ knew this. And it says that the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared though he were a son, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Even though he was the son of God, even though he was God incarnate in the flesh, Jesus Christ learned obedience there that day. He prayed, Father... And I think he learned it not as a son of God. He learned it as a son of man. He learned in his flesh what it was like to be obedient to the Father in spite of what he was about to go through. Sometimes, I think that's part of another one of these lessons that's laid out here in Hebrews for us. Uh, because it references back to those Old Testament saints. It references back to Abraham. Abraham was given promises of God. You and I have been given promises of God. One of the promises you and I have been given, of course we know, one of these days we're going to live with Him in heaven. He's also given us a promise of rest here. But you know what? You know what Abraham had to go through to, to receive the promise of God? What did God promise Abraham? God promised Abraham He was going to give him a son. But did he give it to him the next day? <laughs> did he give it to him next week, next month? Did he give it to him nine months from the time of the promise? The answer in all of that is no. God, God promised him something and Abraham endured. Abraham endured the time, the temptation, the trial. And, so, and you know what he found out? God does not lie. God told him he would give him a promise and God who cannot lie promised this to him. And so, uh, but Abraham had to endure many struggles, many trials, many temptations uh, before all of those, before those promises were finally confirmed to Abraham. And so he tells us Jesus Christ learned obedience there that day uh, as a, as a, as a, uh, uh, a man as a, as a person of the flesh he suffered in agony and he was going to suffer there upon the cross but in all of that he learned that being faithful to God uh, as a man what happened? God resurrected him from the dead why? because he was faithful and true to what he, what he, was, what he said so he says though he were a son yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered and being made perfect he, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all of them that obey him he, uh, he's talking about obedience he's not talking about uh, becoming a child of God uh, through obedience he's talking about being delivered in our obedience He's teaching us about obedience here and, and how God will, will bless us in our obedience unto Him. He says, And being made perfect, He became the author of eternal salvation unto all of them that obey Him. So uh, God is, God is uh, not only our Savior, but I'll tell you what, He becomes our Savior in a real, real living way to you and me when we obey Him. 
and find His promises and we find His rest and we enter into His rest here in this life. And He says, uh, called of God, a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, we'll get to this a little bit later as we kind of go through this journey through Hebrews as we're looking at this. But, but, and I'm going to tell you, I don't have a, you know, the more I've studied about it, I've, I've thought over the years, well, this was, Melchizedek must have been this. And Melchizedek, I, I'm going to tell you after, uh, at this point in my life, okay, I'll just leave it that way. I don't know who Melchizedek was. I do not know. Uh, I, I can look over and I can say, uh, well, you know, the Jews, the, the, the Jewish believers of the Old Testament, so they believed Melchizedek was Shem. They, they believe he was, and, and why? You know, I could go through all the reasoning to tell you why they believed it was Shem. And I, I've seen the writings and understand the thinking uh, that here was this old man <laughs> that, that had, had been born the other side of the flood in another world, uh, if you want to say that. He was born in another world compared to the world they were living in. Uh, and, and yet, generation after generation kept dying. And he kept living. <laughs> he he lived all the way up to the time of of, of Abraham and uh, and 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 Jacob, maybe, and and up, and up to Jacob. He he lived all the way up to those generations after the flood, and it almost became like he had no beginning of days, and he had no end of life. Uh, I mean, I, I can see how they thought that, <clears throat> but I can't sit here and tell you uh, by authority of God's word that Melchizedek was Shem. I can tell you, I can understand the thinking. I I can understand the thinking that it was some pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ himself who came out and greeted Abraham there in that journey. But it seems kind of weird uh, to say that he was made a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And if Melchizedek was Christ, he was made a priest forever after the order of himself. Now, so, I, I, you know, I, I, can, I can go through all this reasoning and when it finally comes around, I say, I don't know who Melchizedek is. I can tell you that Jesus Christ was made a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. After his priesthood, uh, he was made a priest. And, and that priesthood, I believe, is the fact that he was a priest called of God, a high priest, and he was also a king who was the king of Salem. Uh, he was the king priest. And I'll tell you, that's a combination you don't find back in the Old Testament Jewish religion uh, of a king priest. But you do find it in Melchizedek. Okay, so he's called uh, of God, a high priest uh, after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. <laughs> uh, I think he was <clears throat> telling them that they they were uh, they they were not very alert and attentive to what Paul was teaching, so he was going to pass on. He does come back to this, but he was at this point in time he just didn't have any more to say in his writings at this at this point. Uh, for when the, for when the time ye ought to be teachers, he's talking to the Hebrews. Maybe he's talking to us at a time when we ought to be teachers. Why? I'm looking out on a congregation for the most part this morning that have been in the church all your life. <laughs> uh, uh, he was looking, and many of you, many many of us can say, I was raised up by a parent that was in church most of their life, who was raised up by a grandparent that was in church most of their life, who was raised up by, you, you follow me? Uh, I mean, it's not like we have no history of being associated with God. Paul was writing to the Hebrew brethren who had a history that went all the way back to Abraham. And he says, a time when you ought to be teachers, 
Ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, which have, <clears throat> and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Your problem is you like hearing the good things over and over again, and you like being told all the sweet things about, let's talk about the resurrection. Let's talk about the second coming of Christ. Let's talk about, you see, and he gets into that right down here below this. <laughs> he says, uh, he says, for everyone that you, uh, uh, for when the time that you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. He's comparing the Jews, and maybe sometimes comparing us to those that are just like a little baby and just want to be fed the milk. And don't want to get on to the strong stuff that's going to make you strong in life. I'm looking out on some parents, uh, or soon-to-be parents, or some people that have been parents that know, you know, the babies, they got to have that milk. they got to have that milk to get going. they got to have that milk to get started. But I'll tell you, it's a poor, it's a disservice to the baby to leave them on milk forever and ever and ever and ever because if you want to see them get strong, you want to see them grow, you've got to move on to some mature things, to some meaty things, some weighty things. You may start with cereal. You may start out with ground-up uh, vegetables uh, and, and pureed food and all this. But eventually it's got to get on to something that nourishes you and builds you up. And I'll tell you, that's the way it is with the child of God. It's good to start out talking about uh, Jesus Christ the Savior, Jesus Christ the Son of God, Jesus Christ the King of Kings, and to talk about baptisms, and to talk about, uh, uh, let's look at the list down, and, and about repentance, uh, and about uh, uh, <clears throat> leaving behind dead works, and moving on to serve God. All of that's good. It all has a place. And I think it's uh, particularly in the church, when I'm looking out on a congregation where we have all ages here present, it's necessary to continually go back and teach those fundamental, foundational things and teach them over and over again. But you don't need to stay there. Why? Because we're to grow. We're to grow up in Christ. How wonderful is it to know? Uh, you say, well, I'm glad to know that Jesus Christ is my Savior. I want to hear about how I need to repent. I need to hear about these things time and time again. But I want to tell you about a, one that's a high priest. I want to tell you about one that's king of kings. I want to tell you about what that high priest actually accomplished. Why? It's in God's word and it's for our edification. So he says, for everyone that, is, uh, that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but strong meat belongeth to them that are full or full age. <laughs> Grow up, guys. <laughs> uh, strong meat belongs to them that are full age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I used to think, you know, and I've heard, you know, you just hear things as a, as a, as a church member, as a young preacher, whatever, you know, and you hear things said over and over again, you almost become, think, well, that must be the way it is. Uh, then you get actually reading the Word of God, and you read what it says, and you think about what it says, and then you realize strong meat is for those that will use it. The, the strong meat is not... I used to hear people say, you know, the strong meat's those things of, of election and predestination and all that kind of stuff. No, sir. Strong, strong meat in the Word of God is directed to people that actually get out and use the Word of God in their daily living. 
strong meat. They have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. How? Through the use of God's word. Not through the knowing of God's word, but through the use of it. That's the strong meat. Graduate from hearing all these good things to actually putting it into practice in your life. That's the strong. Therefore, leaving the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Uh, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of doctrine of baptisms and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permit. <laughs> it's a good place to stop. Uh, so we'll, so we'll, we'll go on with this and we'll get over to what this high priest did and we'll talk, uh, continue to talk about how the emphasis here is don't fall into unbelief and, and grab a hold of faith and doing, doing faith. Isn't that, what, isn't that what the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews is actually about? It's not about having faith. It's about having faith and doing faith. That's what Abraham and Moses and, uh, and Elijah and all of that's what they, they didn't just have it. They did it. They lived it. They experienced faith, and they saw God in a great and mighty way. Well, it's good to be home, and uh, I hope uh, I hope the Lord will bless you to think about this great high priest who has his own order. <laughs> He's not of Aaron. He's not of Levi. He had his own order that God appointed for kings and priests. May God bless you is our prayer.